Impaired vision is an important health burden, especially among older adults. The proportion of adults with vision impairment is expected to double in Canada by 2032 as the population ages. Impaired vision can have a negative impact on quality of life and may also be indicative of eye disease or other health problems. But is it beneficial to screen actively for vision impairment in community-dwelling older adults in primary care? I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Interim Editor-in-Chief for the Canadian Medical Association Journal, and today I'm speaking with one of the authors of a new Canadian Task Force Guideline on Screening for Impaired Vision in Primary Care Settings, published in CMAJ. Dr. Brenda Wilson is a Professor of Community Health and Humanities at Memorial University in Newfoundland and a member of the Canadian Task Force on Preventive Health Care. I've reached Dr. Wilson in St. John's, Newfoundland, Welcome, Brenda. Hi, nice to meet you. We're looking at this new guideline that you published, and my first question is, what are the consequences of impaired vision in seniors, especially those with undiagnosed or untreated impaired vision? Um, This uh, impaired vision in seniors um, can be one of those quiet uh, impairments that leads to disability that people don't realize. uh, what the evidence seems to suggest is that this can lead to uh, injuries of various kinds, usually from accidents, um, you know, particularly falls, but um, and also problems just with activities of daily living, you know, shopping, housework, uh, the ability to work, and certainly the ability to drive safely. Um, but what we also, uh, what the evidence also suggests is that it can lead people to get depressed or to have decreased participation in social activities, to cut down on hobbies, um, and to have difficulties in family relationships. Um, so these are the kind of concerns which uh, led the task force to look at this topic. So in seniors, you know, this kind of thing, the vision impairment can lead, it sounds like, to, to social isolation. That's right, and uh, I think that's that's one of the things that may be hardest to uh, for people to think about because we we're used to thinking about vision and glasses and uh, eye disorders, but it's I think it's the effect on quality of life um, and and on the ability just to live the kind of life that people want to live, which is quite important and which can be affected by impaired vision. So given this serious problem, I know the Canadian Task Force went ahead and wrote this guideline. Can you tell us a bit about what the scope of the guideline is? Um, yes. So this guideline applies to people aged 65 and older who are living independently in the community. So it's not for people who are living in institutional settings or people who have dementia or need a lot of support already. It also doesn't apply to people who are already known to have serious eye conditions or who are known to be at high risk of these, for example, because they have diabetes. Um, and really, it probably doesn't also apply to um, in, the, in the situation where a primary care practitioner already suspects that there may be a problem, such as um, a history of repeated falls or increasing social isolation. Um, so it's really uh, people who, who have no other reason to, to think that they have a problem, who are living and supporting themselves in the community independently. So really what it's focused on is, as you said, it's, you know, a senior that comes into a, in a primary care practice, no suspicion that they're at high risk or have any problems connected. It's whether we should, as, as family physicians and other primary care um, practitioners, 
take the time to screen their vision. That's right. So we've mentioned that this is sort of this is a big problem, but why did the task force decide that this was the right time to write this guideline? Um, well, there are so many guidelines that we could write um, that uh, there's actually a task force process for deciding on the topics to take on for any given year. Um, so th- this one came up through the standard, standard task force process for identifying and selecting topics for our guidelines. Uh, where these topics come from, um, we, we, we draw them in from a range of inputs, uh, particularly suggestions from stakeholder and professional groups, also members of the public. And we're looking around to guidelines being produced by other bodies. And there was um, a, a U.S. task force guideline on this topic, um, which came through as well. Um, so, you know, just to talk about the process generally, we, we start off with a very long list of uh, potential topics and go through that and uh, review it initially against criteria like the potential for health benefits, you know, evidence that there might be variation in the practice, or where we think there may be new evidence that we could build on. Um, and then from that, we have a short list and the science team at the public health agency, uh, you know, pulls together more information on each of these topics and the task force has a consensus method to select the three. I would say probably this one came through because uh, because of the U.S. task force guideline and also because uh, we felt that um, the potential for health benefit in an important section of the population in in older people probably would make this uh, a useful guideline. So what is the guideline actually recommending then in terms of screening um, in primary care for impaired vision in older adults? Um, So this guideline recommends against routinely screening this population for impaired vision in primary care settings. And it's a weak recommendation. So this means that screening shouldn't be done by default. Uh, The default should be to not screen, but that a practitioner should actually take into account um, any individual patient's preferences and and make their own judgments. So if I can talk a bit more about this. Um, The the task force does make a distinction between vision screening and vision testing. So our recommendation does not mean that people should not see their optometrist for eye checks as recommended for their age. Uh, I think we would probably call that vision testing, and we would always encourage everyone to have their eyes checked as recommended for their age and their personal situation. So what we were talking about with vision screening was uh, we're talking about using some kind of a test in a primary care setting to check whether someone might have a visual problem. So the screening test could be eye charts, but they could also be something like a, a short questionnaire or targeted questions that the professional asks. So this isn't a diagnostic pro- approach. It's really just a very preliminary assessment. And the idea would be for someone um, picked up in this way with a, a suspicion of a vision impairment to then be referred on to an optometrist or perhaps even an ophthalmologist for a more definitive assessment and further management. So just to reiterate, the, gu- the guideline recommended against doing this routinely. For people age 65 and over living independently in the community in primary care settings. So, what what is the rationale behind this recommendation? Well, what does the what does the literature say? Um, so, we we identified uh, 15 randomized controlled trials from around the world, uh, which examined uh, vision screening in primary care in some form, um, and we were particularly interested in outcomes. Uh, that we considered important, which were uh, to do with health and functioning and quality of life. So outcomes such as risk of dying, 
uh, uh, social functioning, quality of life, fractures. Um, so those were the outcomes we looked at. Um, overall, we found the evidence, uh, the quality of the evidence to be low or very low, but it was quite consistent in suggesting no evidence at the screening made a difference to any of these outcomes that we were interested in. Now, there were issues to do with this evidence base, um, uh, to do with the overall rigour of the trials, which I think we can see with um, low-quality evidence assessment. Um, many trials were done that didn't measure the outcomes that were of interest to us. Um, and for some, uh, it was the context. So how far could a particular approach to vision screening uh, up, uh, developed in one country be applied to the primary care context in Canada? Um, I'd like to go back to this as a weak recommendation. Um, so as I said, this does mean that a practitioner should use her judgment and her assessment of patient preferences because some patients may want their vision screened. Um, with a weak recommendation, we can go either way. We can, we can have weak recommendations for or against. In this case, we thought, um, we really judged there was no, likely no great harm from screening, even if it is ineffective. But we did consider the opportunity cost that comes with supporting an activity which would consume significant practitioner time and healthcare resources with no evidence of benefit. So if we reflect on the time it would take to do a test, discuss what it means, offer advice, and maybe for some, you know, make a referral and follow up, uh, this resource use and time use really mounts up. Um, and with the graying of the population, the number of patients on a practitioner's roster where this guideline would apply would continue to grow. So this could turn into a substantial commitment with no evidence of benefit. And that's why it was a weak recommendation, but against screening. Well, and that's what's so interesting, actually, because we're finding out more and more how little evidence supports the things that we traditionally have done. And I know it will probably seem strange for some physicians who've had this, who've been doing this routinely to stop. But as you said, it does give time to maybe tackle um, some other um, activities that might have more evidence behind them. Well, that's right. And I, I think sometimes we forget about that, that, um, you know, time taken to do one thing is not time available for another. Um, and really, with the, with the health system we have in Canada and the demands on primary care, we really should be making sure that the, all the energy, efforts and time are being directed towards things that we know really work. You've mentioned uh, a couple of times now the U.S. Um, guidelines, the, their, their task force um, guidelines on this. How does this, the recommendation from your group, compare to, to the U.S. Uh, recommendation? Um, so the, the U.S. guideline um, concluded there was insufficient evidence to make a recommendation either way. Okay. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about government funding in Canada for coverage of vision checks. Um, you know, you've mentioned already that um, obviously this guideline doesn't say, and you're encouraging um, seniors to go get their eyes checked by optometrists. Now, most Canadian provinces cover vision screening by optometrists only for children and seniors. Um, in your opinion, is this the best approach? Uh, well, this is an important question. Um, so I'll start off by saying that the, the task force's mandate is for primary care-based prevention activities and considering these broader questions are without their mandate. However, I'll offer some of my own thoughts on this. Um, so you're right that most provinces um, cover eye tests by optometrists for seniors, but not all of them do. For example, where I am here in Newfoundland, Labrador, it's not covered. Um, I think 
many people are likely covered by benefits plans of one kind or another. And so it's really hard to know how far some people are falling through the net and not getting their eyes tested. Uh, and it's quite hard to find this data. Now, uh, we did look at this uh, in, as a task force, um, and the best we could find was a, a paper out of the University of Toronto. Uh, but the actual data they based it on are now more than 10 years old. But for what it's worth, um, that, that um, analysis seemed to suggest that in any given year, about 40% of people you know, reported having an eye test, and that about 85% of people over 65 had had an eye test in the previous two years. This is data from the Canadian uh, Community Health Survey. So about 85% of people in our age group were, appear to be getting eye tests. Um, the reasons that people gave for not having eye tests uh, were often things like they just didn't get around to it or they didn't think it was necessary. Um, cost was not one of the important things that was mentioned, um, and only 4% 4, 4 of people over 65 years um, actually mentioned this as uh, an issue. Um, now, my own interpretation is that we don't know whether increasing coverage, enough, coverage of eye tests would actually make a difference to health outcomes generally, or would be the best use of healthcare dollars. Um, there are a lot of other things that motivate people to get their eyes tested um, of their own accord, such as applying for a driver's license. Um, so, uh, you know, in response to your question um, about covering eye tests, I think uh, particularly from the point of view of access um, for some people, uh, particularly particular social economic groups, um, that might provide a safety net. But it does suggest that most of the population, most of the time, is um, paying for eye tests themselves or having them covered by benefit plans. Now, we do know that there are conditions which predispose to vision loss, like diabetes and glaucoma. Um, so there's a question about whether extending health coverage to, to these eye tests, include eye tests um, for everyone is a way to reduce vision loss or whether we need to target it. Um, I can't really answer these questions, um, but I think this is a, a more complex issue than it might seem on the surface. So what would you say then, though, sort of going back to at the beginning of our conversation, the patient, the senior who comes in to see a primary care physician, for example, and, and is otherwise um, healthy, no, no red flags, that one of the things that maybe we can do is suggest that if they haven't had their eyes tested uh, recently, that they may, that they should consider going to an optometrist. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's what, that's a simple instruction, a simple piece of advice to give. Um, and, and certainly we are, you know, encouraging people to make use of eye tests when they're available. Uh, what what I think we're interested in seeing is that it, the, the family physician or the nurse practitioner shouldn't feel that they need to go ahead and start screening themselves. Sounds good. So any final thoughts at all? Anything that we haven't covered that you, you'd like to, uh, to share with our listeners? Um, well, the, the way that I have thought of this guideline myself is in, within the context of uh, how we think about promoting health and maintaining function and independence in older age. Um, you know, that's always been an important issue. And I think we're probably, you know, more conscious of this, you know, with, with the demographic shifts and the so-called you know, demographic time bomb. Um, so, the, you know, making a recommendation against 
this specific screening strategy doesn't undermine the importance of nevertheless paying attention to strategies to promote, promote health and independence and quality of life. Um, primary care practitioners are probably the best place of anybody to pay attention and pick up on the cues that might point to preventable causes of disability in older people. Um, so maintaining awareness and case finding, following up on red flags, that's always important. And I, I do believe that's something that uh, you know, primary care practitioners have always done, and it's just how they practice good medicine. So I think it's carry on and do that. Well, that's excellent advice. Thank you so much, Brenda, for joining me. You're welcome. I've been speaking with Dr. Brenda Wilson, a professor of community health and humanities at Memorial University of Newfoundland and a member of the Canadian Task Force on Preventive Health Care. To read the Canadian Task Force guideline article published in CMAJ, visit cmaj.ca. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to CMAJ Podcasts in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. While you're there, we invite you to listen to our many past episodes. I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Interim Editor-in-Chief for CMAJ. Thank you for listening. <music>